And we'll start reading in verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 13. It says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. In our release time ministry, I was teaching about the church to the kids, and we're right at the beginning of it. And I was telling them about how when Jesus was on this earth with his apostles and training them, that he told them before, that he, le- before he left that through them he was going to build something. I said, what is it? And one of the kids said, a wall. And I said, no, I think you have him confused with Donald Trump. And uh, the rest of the kids all thought that was pretty hilarious, and they laughed. And i got to admit, confusing Donald Trump and Jesus would be a, is a leap for, sure, for certain. <laughs> but but uh, not one that I'm willing to make. But, you know, one of the things that I looked at as I looked last week, and we covered a good part of verse 2 about showing hospitality to strangers. And we didn't really talk about the last part, and I don't intend to spend a lot of time on it. But it talks about showing hospitality to strangers and says because in doing so, some of you have entertained angels unawares or without knowing it. Uh, apparently that's something that can happen. I know that uh, angels are, have a, they do have a ministering ministry uh, to us at this time. In this passage, it does tell us that we need to be hospitable to strangers and sometimes we Come across an angel in that experience. Now, I don't know how that all takes place, and so I don't want to spend a lot of time on it. I remember one time somebody telling about an event in their life. They were driving down the road. They were really discouraged. They were driving through a storm, heavy rain, and they were just kind of feeling depressed. And they had prayed and asked God, you know what, if I could get some encouragement, just something, some strengthening. Pretty soon they came along somebody that was along the side of the road, and they stopped and they picked them up gave them a ride, and this person turned out to be a Christian, and they just had a great time of fellowship. The next town that they came across, they pulled into a restaurant, they sat there and ate a meal together, and just visited for like an hour or better, and finally, things were winding down, about time to get back out on the road, they went to the bathroom, came back, nobody was there. They asked the waitress, where, where was the person I'd been visiting with? They said, you were, you've been alone the whole time, what are you talking about? And so they said that they thought that they had maybe been in the presence of an angel. Now, my response to something like that is, I don't know. I just kind of file it off in the maybe category, I guess. Because, you know what, I don't know. I don't know if it was an angel. I don't think they know whether or not it was an angel. They did say that I realized afterwards that that person, I picked them up in the rain, they got in my car, they were dry. I never even didn't notice that until later when rehashing it in my mind. And so there were some things about it, but you know what, I just kind of file that in the yeah, maybe category. I don't know, but I feel completely comfortable in that. You want to know why? Because the passage says that some, many have entertained angels unaware without knowing it. And that's kind of really the point, I guess, in that kind of thing, is that God might send someone, some messenger, a heavenly messenger among us for a purpose at different times, but we are unaware of it. We don't know, but he's just letting us know that occasionally it does happen, I guess. But you know what I would like to focus on? I would like to focus on something a little bit more tangible. I would like to focus on that idea of being shown being hospitable to strangers. I think it's a good time to deal with it in our country because, you know, right now we have this big group of, I don't remember how many thousands of people making their way up from Guatemala, I believe it is, on their way up saying they're not stopping until they get to the U.S. border and they're going to come and try to get across the border. We've got border issues have been a big part of our politics for a long time. Even when Lisa read the notes this morning as she was folding them and putting them in the bullet and she said, oh, we're going to be political today. I said, you know, I said, no, not really. It's not my goal to be political. But I think that our mindset in this is an important one as we deal with how we should relate to strangers, to foreigners as they come into our area. And it's actually an issue that the Bible has an awful lot 
to say about it. In fact, I found that as I studied it out getting ready for today, it was beneficial for me. It, it shaped my thinking a little bit differently. It helped me to understand things a little bit more clearly as I went through the different Bible verses and passages and tried to get a good understanding of what we're looking at. I want to think God's thoughts. I want to see His thinking on it. If I could be in our little release time boy's mind, you know, we know what Donald Trump thinks about the wall. I'd like to know what Jesus thinks about the wall, actually, is more important to me. And a lot of other things that go along with that. But as we look through the Bible and consider this, what are the three biblical principles regarding immigration? The first one is our attitude. What should our attitude be toward people that are among us that are from uh, other countries and other places? Well, we see it described to us in Psalm 146 and verse 9. It tells us what God's attitude is towards immigrants. It says, The Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. He often has these three categories, the widow, the orphan, and the sojourner. Those three in a category, because those three are in vulnerable positions. Widows are in a vulnerable position. They've lost their husband. Orphans are in a vulnerable position. They don't have their parents keeping track of them. A sojourner, a stranger, an immigrant is in a vulnerable position. They're in a strange land, someplace they didn't grow up. They're in a place with a different culture. They're in a place with, with different, maybe a different language, the different rules and regulations. And so they're in a vulnerable position. Throughout the Bible, God teaches that God is somebody that loves people that are in vulnerable positions. He likes to watch out for the downtrodden. He's kind of like my grandma. I remember my grandma, we'd be watching sports, and sometimes I I remember watching a football game or something in my grandma's house, and I'm like, Grandma, who do you want to win? And her response was, oh, probably whoever's going to (laughs) lose. I was like, what? She didn't pay attention to the teams. She didn't care. She didn't even pick them by their uniforms like my wife does sometimes. She she didn't care who was on the teams or what. She just didn't want anybody to lose. And so whoever was down, if she came up to a game that was 35 to nothing, she's rooting for nothing. That's, that's, her, that's grandma. Well, in, in some sense, God's that way too. God says, who's got the underhand here? The orphan, the widow, the immigrant, the stranger among us. And he says, I love those people. God's thoughts ought to be my thoughts. Well, the first thing that we see that's dominant throughout this subject in the Scriptures is justice. There needs to be justice. And that that justice would be The same is for the native-born, the same is for the immigrant. The people needed to be treated just and fairly. In Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 14 and 15, it says, You shall not oppress a hired worker who is poor and needy, whether he is one of your brothers or one of the sojourners who are in your land within your towns. You shall give him his wages on the same day before the sun sets, for he is poor and counts on it, lest he cry against you to the Lord and you be guilty of sin." And so the God's, God's telling them here clearly, you need to treat them fairly. You need to treat them. I don't care if they're your brother who's working for you or an, or, or an immigrant that's working for you. You need to be treating them fairly. Treat them justly. Pay them their wage. They need it. Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 19, he says, Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. You know, the same three categories, like we already said, they're at vulnerable positions in their life. If there's anybody that's, that's easier to take advantage of within our society, it's these three groups of people. He pronounced a curse. Cursed is anybody who is going to take advantage of these three groups of people. 
In Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 7, it says, Father and mother are treated with contempt in you. It's talking to the city of Jerusalem. The sojourner suffers extortion in your midst, and the fatherless and the widow are wronged within you. And the point with this is just when Israel fell away from the Lord, when they turned and started going the wrong way, they became corrupt. And we find that same three groups of people that are vulnerable were the same three groups of people that were treated unjustly when Israel turned its back on God. And then in Jeremiah, in chapter 7, he's pronouncing for them the remedy of that. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly execute justice one with another, if you do not oppress the sojourner, the fatherless, or the widow, or shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not go after other gods to your own harm, then I will let you dwell in this place and in the land that I gave of old to your forefathers forever. So you see, we see it all through Israel's history. Israel started off going into the promised land. God said, you do not mistreat these people. You treat them with justice. You treat them fairly. When they drifted away from God, they started to mistreat those people. And God says, you're being judged for it. And then he says, if you turn away from your wicked works, in other words, you repent and you start to treat them fairly and justly, then I will come along your side. Well, you know what? God not only deals with them in a way that is just, and our attitude should not just include justice, it should also uh, include something a little bit deeper than that, and that's love. We have to feel compassion for these people. You know what? I, I grew up in an area where we, illegal immigration was pretty common. I grew up in eastern Washington State, a small town, a farming community, and in the summer, we had a lot of immigration. When it was fruit picking time, you know what? I'd say to my, to my shame, there's times where I ridiculed those people. Don't get me wrong, I'm not endorsing or providing any justification for illegal immigration. It is that. It is illegal. But you know what the point is? Those are, they're people. And I'm thinking, I don't need to have any personal animosity toward these people. In fact, I should have some compassion. And I'm not, I'm not discounting. They bring their problems with them. There's no doubt about it. I worked in a grocery store in the town I grew up in. And you know what? In the summertime, the police department would put a walkie-talkie in our main office straight to them. And you want to know why? Because we would get a lot more theft when there's that kind of fluctuation of people through our community. I remember one time three people came in in a car. In an hour, all three of them were in jail. Two of them for shoplifting and one of them for running into something as he tried to get out of the store parking lot with his car. And I thought, man, this is crazy. So there's some problems that come along with this. There's no doubt about it. It's not an easy situation or solution. I also picked fruit out in the orchards with a lot of those people. As a teenager, that was part of your summer income. And you know what? A lot of those people were hardworking families. Does that justify illegal immigration? No, it doesn't. But you know what it makes me do? It makes me stop and think what it must be like that you will take your whole family and sneak across a border to go to some place that you're not supposed to be in order to work your dogs off picking fruit for a few weeks to be able to get back home and support yourself for the rest of the year. A lot of them are just trying to make it for their family. And you know what? My heart goes out to that. What would it take to get you in that mob of people that's headed up here from Guatemala to leave your home, leave your other family, friends, and stuff like that behind? What would it take you to join a mob like that headed for another country? Uh, it would take a lot, wouldn't it? I don't want to be in those people's shoes. And you know, when I think about that, it makes me kind of feel bad that they're in their shoes. Again, doesn't justify illegal immigration. But you know what? It gives me, I, I, I'm starting to feel more compassionate. I would like our immigration policies maybe reformed a little bit. To meet some of those needs. 
and not just being a, a point around voting time for politicians. But we're supposed to reach, we're supposed to be loving toward these people. You know what? That's the way God is. That's why He tells us that. In Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 22, it says, For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords and great and the mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve Him and hold fast to Him, and by His name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God who has done for you these great and terrifying things that your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt, 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you numerous as the stars of heaven. You see how he says, when he gets to the sojourners, he says God loves the sojourners. In fact, he points to him and he says, look, God loved you as a sojourner. And so he tells us we should love these people. Leviticus 23.22 says, And when you reap a harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. This was like their welfare system. Now, granted, when you compare Bible's uh, immigration and our immigration today, there's some big differences. The welfare states that exist in the nations today didn't exist back then. And so I think uh, some of that needs to be reformed also. There needs to be some personal responsibility built into the welfare program. But you know what the interesting thing is? is When God set up the welfare program for Israel, and He said this is the welfare program, you farmers don't harvest your whole field. Leave the edges. Why leave the edges? That's good food there. Because there's poor in your community that need it. They'll go pick it up, but you leave it for them to go pick it up. There's immigrants, there's people traveling through that are falling on hard times and they need something. Just leave that there for them to be able to pick it up. He goes a little bit farther along the same lines. In Deuteronomy 24, it says, When you reap your harvest in your field and forget the sheaf in the field, you shall not go back and pick it up. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. And so God repeatedly tells them, no matter what their crop was, He says, you can go over it once, don't go over it a second time. Whatever you miss, leave behind. And the reason, it's for them. And I've, I've often had a struggle with this one. So my thinking had to change a little bit with that and line up more with God's. In Leviticus 19, verse 33 and 34, it says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall not do him wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Love him as ourselves. You know, often when I think of loving somebody as myself, I think of my neighbors. I don't know if I've ever really thought of it in the context of somebody coming into our country that's a stranger. Loving them as my Self. That's how we're supposed to treat all humanity, even our enemies, right? Love them as yourself. That's, you can't get a more amazing attitude toward more different people than that. And when we do, we're mirroring the love of God. A lot of these passages, you'll notice, give us a motive. The motivation was that they were sojourners. You went in Egypt as a family of 70 people, and you were strangers for over 400 years while you were there. Now, here's the amazing thing. When Israel was in Egypt... They were persecuted. At first they were treated very well. 
But not for very long. As soon as a new Pharaoh rose up that felt a little threatened by the children of Israel, they persecuted him and they made them slaves and they abused them. And so now Israel is coming out of Egypt where they've been the strangers for over 400 years. Generations, what almost double the length of our country's been in existence. Generations of being mistreated. And now they're going to get their own land. And when they're in their own land, you know what's going to happen? Other people coming into their land, now those people are going to be the strangers. Israel's going to be the natives. And you know what God tells them? You're not going to do what was done to you. You remember what it was like to be a stranger. And you remember how it felt to be mistreated. And you make sure that you don't mistreat strangers coming into your land in the same way. And so he gives them that motivation. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 9, he says, You shall not oppress the sojourner. You know the heart of the sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Our forefathers didn't start here. Our forefathers all started somewhere else and made their way here trying to find a better place for their family, right? And so I think, well, we reap the benefits of our forefathers coming here years ago. And we would deny that to other people? I don't think that's necessarily kind. But he uses that as an example. He says, look at how you were, you've been treated all these years. You're not going to treat anybody in that same way. And in the church, we have even more reason to not have a hard heart toward people that are going through that time because of our reality in Christ. As for as many of you were baptized into Christ, put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Now that's obviously talking within the context of the church. But we're one in Christ. In Ephesians, and we definitely don't have time to go through this, but in Ephesians chapter 2 it says, Within the church we experience the breaking down of the wall of hostility that used to be there between Jew and Gentile. Within the context of the church, we really have to be one. That wall, of, that wall has been broken down. And Hebrews 11.13, as we looked at a while back, talked about the people of faith. And it talked about the people of faith looking forward to a new city, a new country that is a heavenly one, and recognizing that this world is not our home. So of all the people that ought to have the least amount of problem with foreigners, it ought to be us. Because we recognize that our time here is short. We're sojourners in this land and our real home is in heaven with our Heavenly Father. And that God constantly uses that as motivation for Israel. Because you were sojourners before, you know what it feels like to be the stranger in a strange land. So be loving. Be just. But, then on the other hand, we also have our protection. And this is not contrary. This is not bringing up an opposite side. It goes along with the, other, the first two points. The Bible makes it very plain and clear. Human government has been given to us for our protection. It says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. And then he goes on in the rest of the passage to talk about how law enforcement is here for our benefit. They're here for our protection, for our security. And so when we deal with this immigration, we need to have the right attitude toward people. We need to have the attitude that is loving, that is compassionate, that is just toward people. But at the same time, we have to recognize that our government has the responsibility of protecting our citizenship and protecting our way of life within our nation. And that's why we have laws. Just like a football game takes rules and referee to have a peaceable and a good football game, a country, a city, a people need laws to maintain safety and prosperity within that country. 
And that's where we start to deal with the issue of immigration. I need to be more compassionate to people that have things rougher than I do. To people whose life must be pretty bad if they're willing to pack a backpack and hit the road on foot and travel all the way across Central America to get up here. My heart goes out to those people. I don't know that it did three days ago. But my heart goes out to them. At the same time, I recognize our government has a responsibility if they just let those people flood through and then some tragic, something tragic happens, all of us are going to be pointing the finger at the official saying, what did you do? That was your responsibility to protect us. And there could be, very well be a lot of harmful people within that group. Our authorities have to have the freedom and the ability to do what they got to do to protect us. And so, you know, and I look at the whole thing, wall or no wall, and I don't want this morning's message to be about the wall. But quite frankly, I don't see what the big deal is. You know, when I think of a wall, and I, th- I think, well, what is the biblical perspective on a wall? And by wall, I don't necessarily mean all bricks and mortar. It could be that E-Verify, different things that they're talking about to try to establish a border, maintain the border. You know, I think that's biblical. How does a government protect you if they can't maintain a border? That's got to be almost the first step, doesn't it? You know, when I think of that idea of maintaining a border. You know where the first place I see that in the Bible is? The Garden of Eden. Adam and Eve sinned against God, and God kicked them out of the garden. That's kind of drawing a line, isn't it? You're kicked out. It gets even more as he puts an angel there of guarding the tree of life to keep us away from the tree of life. That was an act of mercy so that we wouldn't live forever in a sinful state. He wants us to live forever, but not in a sinful state. So what did God do? The first border protection I find in the Bible is at the Garden of Eden around the tree of life. God puts a guard there to keep us out of there. You know, as I look down through the Bible, I also see they made walled cities. They put up walls for protection. Jerusalem had a wall around it. You think even farther, the temple had a wall around it. The tabernacle had a wall around it. The city of Jerusalem had a wall around it. When, when Nehemiah, if you read the book of Nehemiah, it's all about a wall. Nehemiah's day, he, he gets news back from one of his brothers. He says, how are things going in Jerusalem? And his brother says, they're horrible. Everybody's discouraged. The city's constantly being run over with bandits because there's no wall. And so you know what Nehemiah does? He prays. He fasts. He goes before the king because he's the cupbearer of the king. And the king notices that he's distraught. And Nehemiah says, well, why wouldn't I be upset? The city of my forefathers lies in ruins. The, the king says, well, what do you want me to do about it? What can we do? And Nehemiah says, this is what I need. This is how much time I need. This is the materials what I need. You know what I need to do? I need to go rebuild the wall. And so that's what they did. They went and they rebuilt the wall. Why? Because the wall provided security. The wall provided safety. You could close the gates at night and your family could sleep secure. I don't see, I don't understand the problem with that. You know, a lot of the politicians and the celebrities that get very political are living in gated communities, even within our country. Why not just move the gates a little farther out? Put them on the edge of the whole country and we can all live peacefully within it, right? No, because we got people here too that break those grants. But, but it does make it safer. In fact, if we just tear down our borders, let people cross the lines willy-nilly, then we, then we just end up with whatever is on the other side being a little closer, a little farther in, a little farther in. So I don't really understand. You know, in Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 10, it says this, Foreigners shall build up your walls. <laughs> I had to laugh when I first read that. It sounds like a Donald Trump's promise about Mexico building our fence or our wall or whatever. But he says, Foreigners shall build up your walls, and their kings shall minister to you. For in my wrath I struck you, but in my favor... 
I have had mercy on you. You see what God is saying? He's saying, in my wrath, I struck you. I judged you and your walls came down. But now, you know what? I'm going to, your walls are going to get built back up because I'm a merciful God as well. So I'm going to reestablish this protection for you. In Isaiah chapter 60 and verse 18, it says, violence shall no more be heard in your land, devastation or destruction within your borders. You shall call your walls salvation and your gates praise. In Exodus chapter 12, it says, If a stranger shall sojourn with you and would keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, then he may come near and keep it. Part of the place where I really have a struggle is like when they show the group of people marching on up here. They're coming on up and they got the flags of their old countries and that kind of stuff. And I, then I don't get it. I say, look, if your country is that good to you, that you're going to carry this flag however many hundred miles all the way across Central America, then why don't you stay there? You know, that, this is where the issues start to rub me the wrong way a little bit. I remember back uh, several years ago in California, there was a school there, and the school wanted to, I can't remember if it's replaced the American flag with the Mexican flag or put the Mexican flag higher on the flagpole than the American flag. And they're like, why can't we do this? We have a large Hispanic population, a large Mexican population. I'm like, well... Mexico is not flipping the bill for the school. The United States is flipping the bill for the school. And the school is in the United States. If you're so proud of Mexico, it's not very far from you. You can go back there and participate in education there. You see, that's the part I really don't get. And that's one of the things that we see within the Bible is that God told these people, if the foreigner, a sojourner is among you and he wants to be part of you, he needs to be circumcised. Now that's commitment. That was the sign of the Jewish people. And God says He needs to become one of you. They need to be committed. And that's the thing. When I look at it, if somebody's coming in they want to be citizens, they ought to have to pass tests. If they're going to help through their voting and everything else shape the future of our nation, then they need to become one of us. And that's what, you know, one of the things that I saw growing up that, I, that I always kind of irritated me a little bit is all the people that would come through the line in the grocery store in the summer is a, in the, from the alien part of the community that couldn't even write their name in English on the back of a check. They just have to put an X and I'd have to fingerprint it as a witness. And I'm thinking, you know what, if I'm going to move my family to somewhere else, I'm going to learn the language and I'm going to learn the customs and I'm, I'm not going to give up my religion or anything. We're not asking anybody to do that either. But I'm going to try to fit in for the betterment of my family, the betterment of the community. And you know what, that's what the Bible says here too. God told these people if somebody wants to be like a native, then they need to, they need to join. They need to be one of us. In Leviticus chapter 16, verse 29, says, And it shall be a statue to you forever, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves, that means to fast, go without food, and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. So notice this. You've got people coming in from other countries into Israel, and God says we're going to celebrate the Sabbath in Israel. We're going to not work on the Sabbath day. And so the sojourners in Israel because there's no working going on in Israel that day, they would have to not work in respect to Israel's laws about Sabbath in their relationship with their God. And you know what? That's what I think that the sojourner needs to learn. That's what the immigrant needs to learn. These people that are coming into the country, they need to respect the country that they're coming into. Not try to change our way. We're not going to become Sharia law in our communities. We're going to use our law and our constitution. And we're not going to fly the flags of different countries. We need to fly our flag here. Look, if you have it better somewhere else, go ahead and stay there. But if you don't have it better and you want to come here, you're welcome. 
You're welcome, but you have to respect the laws that are here. And we're not going to become the country you left. And so there needs to be a respect going on from that direction as well. And so as we look at this issue of a stranger among us, we need to make sure that we have the right attitude, that we have an attitude that wants to see justice for all people, that is loving toward all people, loving other people as ourselves. Our, our family wasn't here to begin with either. And our forefathers went through some things and was the stranger in a strange land to give, our, give us an opportunity. You know what? There's other people out there that want to be strangers in a strange land to give their family a, a better opportunity. And you know what? I think we're on a good track that way. The United States lets in more immigrants every year than every other country in the world. But as they're coming in, we need to be compassionate and we need to demand justice At the same time, we need to recognize that our government has a responsibility to protect us, so we need to be respectful toward our government. And I don't think that it's too bad a thing to expect to see some respect for our nation out of the people that would want to come in.